Hi, it's Guy here. Welcome to another episode of Creative Forces. Uh, in each episode, I speak to a creative person, someone who's created something from nothing, um, about how they did it and about the decisions they made along the way. Um, I get really inspired by their stories. I hope you will too. Um, in this episode, I speak to Elizabeth Bananuka. She's a PR professional, uh, freelance PR, and she's also the founder of two brands uh, within that industry that have done a huge amount to promote diversity and inclusion over the last few years. BME PR Pros and The Blueprint. And she is, as I said, the founder of those two brands. She's done a massive amount um, to promote diversity and inclusion, or DNI, uh, within her industry. And her journey, the story that she's got in terms of how she started those is fascinating. Um, and it's, I really love talking to her about it. Uh, she tells me about all the decisions she's made along the way, the reasons why she started doing it in the first place, and her aspirations for the future. So this is me talking to Elizabeth Bananuka. All right, Elizabeth, thank you for joining me on Creative Forces. Really appreciate you coming on. Well, very honoured and humbled and grateful to be asked. Still baffled, <laughs> but um, very, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here we are in the first week of 2023. So I just wanted to start by asking you, how was your, how was your 2022? Oh my God. <laughs> I was hoping you'd start with a positive question. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? It's, it's really interesting. 2022 was a challenge, um, a real challenge for so many reasons. We've had some quite big business challenges, um, which I'm not, <laughs> not going to go into. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think that, look, I think to preface it, I should say that um, we are a small business. We, uh, you know, um, black owned, female owned, that's me. Um, we are a tiny team of three, mainly. And then on top of that, we have a network of freelancers. And yeah, we're, we're, we're a tiny business. And we not only are a tiny business, but we also work in PR and communications. We also work in diversity. We're also trying to change an industry. We're also trying to tackle racism, harassment, microaggression, sexism, and everything else. And we are constantly David up against the Brazilian Goliaths. So to a certain extent, you know, we hit really challenging people, things every now and again. We, um, I like to remind people, well, not remind people, but we talk about it as my team, that for every 10 brilliant organizations we work with, we'll have maybe one that becomes really problematic. And um, sometimes the most problematic um, bad guys end up taking up a lot more of your space and a lot of your mm -hmm. time, a lot of your energy. But 99% of people work with are amazing. 99% of organizations work with are amazing. So while there were challenges in 2022, we've also, um, which became draining because when you're a small business, um, challenges can take up too much of your headspace. We walked away with loads and loads of big successes. So, but but I also think I also think as a sidestep, the reason why I th think I said challenging as well. I think that look, it's it's like everyone else trying to grapple with the new normal. Um, we started the year with co in twenty twenty with COVID cases still on the rise. Um, you're you know working remotely, supporting staff. Um, quite various colleagues during last year still had COVID. We're also new business. So with new businesses, you know, once you've done something five years in a row, you can learn. So you're still kind of that moment where you're, every time you launch something new, you're learning because you, mm -hmm. you're going into unknown waters. So I think while I say it's challenging, big picture was 99%, I guess, with hindsight, good year. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'm just exhausted. I need to learn to take time off work. 
Yeah, well, that is the that is certainly the challenge, isn't it, of running your own business? Something yeah. that I've experienced very much. It's it's very very difficult to give yourself that break that you need, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's 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 harder when you love what you do. It's mm. and, I, and I'm, I know that sounds really cliched and cheesy. I think it's also we're lucky. We work with a lot of people. We really I work with a lot of people I really like. So. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe the same with you and your passion projects. It's, mm. it's, it's, you know, the difference between clocking off and clocking on with someone else. You could park things once you switched off that work email. But when you care about something, it's really difficult. You know, you go to see a film and something inspires you. You think, oh, I wonder how we can do that at work. You have a conversation mm. with a friend and they say something. You think, oh, I wonder what we could, how we can incorporate that into what we do. So, and, you know, so that's it. And also, I guess it's, it's all those new business challenges. <laughs> Should we keep the account or go with a new one? <laughs> I can, mm. If I can, we I have a joke in, in the business where we, um, we talk about gates, you know, like Watergate. So <laughs> <laughs> last year we had about 10 gates. One of them was, <laughs> one of them was definitely accounting gate. <laughs> you know, right. All these challenges that we go through. Um, but yeah, all these, all these things that no one ever tells you what the, my answer is. Is it better yeah. to spend three months, you know, starting again with a new accountant or would you make this one better? All this stuff. So I'm going to have a name check my accountant because then maybe you'll get sued. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so it's been a, it's been challenging in 2022. What about looking ahead then to to this year? Now, as I said, we're in the first week of 2023. How do you how do you feel about the year ahead? Is that something you feel okay. optimistic about, or is, very, are more challenges already looming? Very actually, because I think that that's the funny thing is that there was you know we we had various challenges, but what I do like is that technically our business really has. A couple of solid things, I think, and one of those solid things I think is our integrity and doing right, you know. And in all the challenges we've ever faced, we've gone back to that. What is the right thing to do? Mm. And time and again, it has been the right thing to do. Um, and I think that what I love is that everything we experienced um, that was challenging, we gained a huge amount of support and you know the people that we've worked with the companies we've worked with a lot of incredible people came out you know had our backs and that was wonderful and I think likewise um you know some of the challenging people worked with similar things and I guess why I'm I'm actually really optimistic is that we are despite all of those we we did some incredible incredible things i'm really really proud of the leadership course we created there was you know one of the highlights of last year was being at google watching this incredible cohort of eight wonderful brilliant inspiring people you know this thing that i still have the scrapbook notes of how i wanted to make this leadership course um from like five years ago and to watch that brainstorm you know that scrappy piece of paper from 2018 2017 and you're sitting at Google and you're watching these people, basically their final presentation, you think, Jesus, we did that. Two mm. of us, three of us, we did that. All of this, everything they've experienced has been based on organizations and incredible individuals who've trusted us and supported us to give their expertise for free. And that is amazing. When you sit in the room and you're like, oh my God, you know, Hope and Glory, who's now involved this year, the most awarded PR agency, you know, Mick Govier mm. at Blurred, who does incredible stuff. And she's, you know, sitting there on the interview panels and she's giving my career talks and you're sitting there in Google, you know, like, and, you know, watching Tim, who... <laughs> 
I tease him. I just, I always just thought he was a comms person. I was like, oh, you're the vice president of comms. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> anyway, but he, but you know, he's he's brilliant, and actually, it's 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 wonderful watching also the, you know, again, the generosity of what Google have have done and to support all our work has just been wonderful. But and they've never ever asked us these people that you know again that fed into the Zec have never asked us to change our work, change our mission. I always say, if you're going to back me, don't dilute what we're trying to do. And they've been like, yep, here it is. Let us know how we can support. And that's been brilliant. And then if you look at all the incredible Black, Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minority PR and comms pros we had in that room, you know, creative leaders, geniuses, you know, from Julian, Obubo to Christian, all these amazing people. And you think, Mm. you know what? I cannot believe through... Whatever luck we've got, we've got more than a hundred people have got together, more than fifty companies to root for these eight Black Asian mixed race and ethnic minority PR communication professionals to become senior leaders, and that is just like anything else that happens in here. This is just a beautiful thing. So that yeah, yeah, that must be a satisfying feeling. Let's go back to the yeah. start then. You you know you've created these two. You're the founder of these two brands that promote diversity. Yeah, BME PR pros and the Blueprint. Just take me back to how. How did you? What motivated you to start those two in the the future in the in the in the first place? And how did they come about? What was the sequence of events? Oh, um, to, you know, all of them were luck. I mean, not luck actually. That's not that's not that's not the right word at all. Um, I was saying so. It's when I first started this. It was, you know, diversity wasn't very popular. Actually, there was a certain type of diversity that was very popular. I call it the United Colours of Benetton type of diversity. What, what, what era, what years are we talking about here so now when this I, really started? I, I started working on diversity in 2015, specifically the PR and comm stuff. Hmm. So um, set up a Facebook group, which, you know, like with all Facebook groups, becomes a circus. You know, someone wants to talk <laughs> about race. Someone wants to sell a Mini Cooper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> happens very quickly doesn't it very quickly very quickly <laughs> um, you know um so um and i try to get people involved um try to work with various industry bodies and industry organizations there was a lack of interest um i apparently my one of my skills was not getting people together at that time and i think <laughs> i think i think you know so it started, I guess, the reason. So to answer your question, in February, March 2015, I went to an event that was put on by an organization called Bond. And it was effectively a meet the journalists event. And they had about 120 comms professionals in the room. And all of them worked for NGOs, you know, Red Cross, Comic Relief, um, Plan International, those type of organizations. I'm not saying specifically, but comms, you know, comms professionals from NGOs in the charity sector. Mm. And there was journalists on stage from Vice, from Sky, I think it was, and a couple of other publications. And it was a great event, but I was the only person in that room that wasn't white, and everyone else, everyone was a comms professional. And I'd never, and I think the thing that, the re- thing that really surprised me from that is because I was born in Dar es Salaam, East Africa, and Tanzania, East Africa, and I've got family in Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania. And, you know, the West um, international development charities I think, have done a massive disservice in how Africans and Asians are portrayed in this country. Um, And certainly, you know, 
going back to the 80s when I first arrived here and Live Aid and, you know, the images that we see of poverty porn and, you know, being presented as a continent of Africans who can't raise their children, no one can ever access water, you know, we can't, we don't look after our, our old, all this kind of stuff is really quite shocking to me, especially, I guess, maybe because I, was, I wasn't born here. And it certainly isn't the, the Africa I know. Tanzania is one of the poorest countries in the world, but it's also, Dar es Salaam is also a growing metropolis. And it's mm. interesting when I've taken friends there who are really surprised that it doesn't look as poor as they expected or it doesn't look poor at all. And, you know, a lot of times I've taken, again, people who've gone to Dar es Salaam because maybe they've gone via Zanzibar or they've gone on safari and they're really shocked by what they see of Tanzania compared to what they've seen in Comic Relief or Live Aid. And watching all this, these commerce professionals in one room just made me think, my God, what if they had an uncle in Dar es Salaam or a cousin in Kampala? Would they portray them like that? And it suddenly made me think that maybe there is a point that maybe, you know, it's that old political um, state um, saying, right, where you sit is where you sit. Maybe, mm. maybe they, would, they would treat people differently, view people differently. And so it made me start thinking about diversity and, and the importance of it. And of course, at that, in the backdrop, there's this, the Brexit debate was, was rumbling. And, you know, the fallout of the Brexit debate um, that's still rumbling is about communications. You know, people not feeling that they got the facts and the importance of being able to communicate to diverse audiences and also represent diverse audiences. And it made me think maybe there's a connection with people in the room. So I started thinking about trying to diverse the sector, but I wanted to do it in a specific way, which a lot of people didn't want to do. And to me, one of the biggest problems, a lot, a lot of DNI initiatives at the time were based on, we're fine, you're the problem. So we will help you get a career in comms. We'll help you do this. The assumption is, is that there is something inherently wrong with BMEs. So with the stuff I wanted to do was my stance has always been, there's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with the sector. You know, mm. to be crass, guy, you don't need white skin to write a press release. With all due <laughs> respect, you know, there, is, there are people running PR agencies in Nairobi, in Hong Kong. It's not like you need a white guy to fly over to write a press release for them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, it's ridiculous. And so, and a lot of people didn't like that. And I also felt that you can't do a DNI initiative without acknowledging racism, homophobia, sexism, and all these things, because the reality is DNI wouldn't exist without those things. And here's the thing, and just the very fact of using the word racist, racism, or I once used that word in LinkedIn, and I literally lost about 40 followers, 40 connections, just like that. Mm. And I stopped getting work, I you know, got really, really broke, and people just saw it as a sign of aggression. It's interesting how things have changed in 2020, but I was always really struck by, you know, my my... You know, for example, you look at an organization like Women in PR who do great work and how it's interesting from the beginning, female organizations are always seen as empowering, you know, female mm. only empowering. But to do something that was black, Asian, mixed race, ethnic minority, and I want to use BME as an acronym now to, to yeah. that group, yeah. was already seen as an act of aggression. So the f if you had a female only panel, yay, people would celebrate it on Twitter. The first time I, I was asked to help curate event in 2018, 2017. And I said, okay, but I'd like to have a panel and I'd like the panel to be from Black, Asian, mixed race and ethnic minority backgrounds, again, on diversity. You know what? It got escalated to the head of the organization. And they said, mm. what is the purpose of this? And they saw it as an act of aggression. Can you imagine that? It mm. was, so, so that was a challenge. From the, from the beginning, there was a whole load of people, the very idea of doing something 
by BMEs, for BMEs was already an act of aggression. And then um, I eventually had an argument with a heated discussion with an industry diversity champion who said to me in the middle of the discussion, she was white, and she said to me, you don't know how hard people like me work to help people like you. I know, hmm. very nice person. And um, handled it very well <laughs> by going off the next morning. Next night, went off, ranted about it, as you can imagine. <laughs> Woke up the next morning, I thought, you know what? Screw you, I'll do my own. So I mm. went online at 7 in the morning. I bought the domain name, BMEPR Pros. Um, bought the domain name, then I typed into Google. I've now bought the domain name, Where do, where's my website? Because <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. And then I had... Um, my MacBook on split screen. I had Google on one page, WordPress on another. Yeah. And by eight o'clock on Sunday evening, I had a website with five pages. And I Monday, I emailed a group of people. Uh, we put on our first event. And about a month later, um, paid for it, did it for free. We had about 75 people rock up, all from Black, Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minority backgrounds, mm. except for one white person who in the photos looks very much like, oh, no, this is odd. <laughs> <laughs> Every photo misread <laughs> misread the invite. Absolutely. I mean, she's obviously welcome. We weren't going to kick yeah. her out, but, but um, and then and then you know that was in 2017, and then the we had such a positive vibe from the for the from the first event, and then I decided that I wanted to launch a mentoring scheme to yeah. where you know BMEs will support BMEs. And it was specifically, again, not a case that there's something wrong with you, but literally helping people get support their career dreams. It could be maybe you want to work on your writing. Maybe you want to go from account director to senior account director, whatever. And then we launched that with PR Week. And I have to stress that I got PR Week on board as a partner, and but I organized every aspect of the mentoring scheme. And then that was in January 2018 that launched. And I had about 200 emails in about an hour and a half. And suddenly, you know, you, you're in PR week and people decide that you're you're now nice and you're worth yeah. listening to. So so and then and then and then it snowboarded. And I think that look, you know, I think that my attitude. I remember fundraising. I did work in the charity sector for years, and it's that thing of always have an ask in your pocket. Um, always have an ask in your pocket. Get an opportunity. Don't waste it. And you know, see how far you can push things. See how far you can go. So my thing is to do something new every year. Um, and yeah. if I meet someone nice and we get along really well and they say they want to get involved and I feel that they genuinely get what we're trying to do, see how we can engage them. Um, obviously, I realise that diversity has now become really popular. But as a result, once we did the mentoring scheme, 2019, always wanted to, to do an event with BME-only speakers. We had 30 speakers. I was pretty much bedridden in 2019. I had back problems. So I spent seven and a half mm. months in bed, decided I didn't want to end the year thinking about being sick so I organized a conference for my bed and um, we had 30 <laughs> speakers um, we kicked off with Live Little um, Rani Robinson from Quiet Storm Agency we had um, what do you call it Femi the anti-Brexit campaigner oh yeah yeah JJ Bowler the Congolese award-winning writer and I remember people this no one's got an appetite for this they said and um and it was amazing just watching. We what, sold about 190 tickets mm -hmm. um, and ended up trending on Twitter. And the buzz was huge. And, of course, um, had more people knocking on the door. And then, so I'm rambling on. I don't know if <laughs> no, this start, is but, fine. This is fascinating. But, um, but then I guess, you know, in 
2020, I guess that it's okay to support organized individuals, but I wanted to think, how do we support individuals? So we had a meeting with an advisory board, wanted to create a diversity mark, and we signed that off. I got them to sign off the final consultation on the 30th of April 2020. Um, this is the pandemic had just hit. Budgets were being cut left, right and centre for DEI. And even some of my advisory board members said, why are you launching a diversity mark that costs money when we're facing a pandemic? Is this the right time to do it? I had quite a lot of pushback. And I said, well, I'm not going to go up to black and Asian people and say, hey, now there's an economic downturn. Can you wait <laughs> five more years for us to tackle this? <laughs> Screw that. I said, no, let's do it. And also, it's good to launch things when times are tough because then you can learn from your mistakes quietly, right? Mm. And then, so I went off. We 30th of April. I got the sign off and I said, no matter what, we're launching on the 18th of June. And then I spent a month, I was furloughed from one of my client jobs, spent a month in May building website, funded it myself, three and a half grand, all the work that got into the blueprint. Mm. And I think I've put about 30 grand of my own money into all this diversity stuff. Don't tell my mum, so I might not let her listen to this <laughs> podcast, actually. Um, yeah. She's like, she's struggling to understand why I'm not on the property ladder. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't, so don't listen to this um, I, won't, I won't send it to her yeah don't send it to her but then um and then the thing is guy in the middle of all of that while i'm working on the blueprint diversity mark um george Floyd was murdered and mm. by the time we launched on the 18th of june which we'd agreed to do in april it we didn't become this opportunistic thing i'd love to tell you that we suddenly decided hey there's george Floyd's murder Let's mm. exploit it. Actually, that's not our work at all. Um, no. I'm proud that we don't exploit black pain. I'm proud that we don't exploit, you know, exploit people. Um, so suddenly we launched this thing on the 18th of June to a very different landscape. And, you know, people that had trolled me before suddenly want to meet me for lunch. People that had dismissed me before suddenly are retweeting me. I went from, mm. you know, a 1,000 Twitter followers or maybe 800 or whatever, most of them probably, I don't know, adult entertainers and bots just <laughs> suddenly like just suddenly like, like 4,000 followers and then and which makes me now hate Twitter because you know I'm not a fan of PR Twitter so yeah. um I really just like Strictly Come Dancing Twitter and Black Twitter but anyway <laughs> and the diversity work killed those things for me but anyway um but yeah and then the so the diversity mark we now have 10 agencies that have got the blueprint diversity mark Mm. Doing incredible work. Circle, when they applied for the diversity mark, got ally status. They had no black, Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minority members of staff. They've now had an 800% increase in mm. staff. I mean, something like, I don't know, 13, 14% of their PR consultants from black, Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minority backgrounds. They haven't done the cheap thing and got a whole load of interns in. This is at every level, including associate director. And, um, and that was 2020. 2021, we launched the leadership scheme. And yeah, that's pretty much, well, that's a bit of an overview. And, and you know, look, yeah. between all of that, these things I've learned, we, you know, I did this because I thought we can do better comms work. But along the way, I think I started getting a load of emails. And I'm still really proud of how many people email me to tell me stuff that they've gone through and they trust me with their personal stories. Mm. Um, and people have been very, very open. But it was suddenly the realisation that, look, I'd always see myself as someone that had bad luck in this industry. You know, this job didn't work out. That job didn't work out. We're, you know, I, I experienced a huge amount of workplace bullying in so many different organisations, been signed off work for stress. I've had to have counselling because of the, the amount of bullying I've gone through. And when I went freelance in 2015, I was very, very sure you must be bad at your job and you must be a horrendous person. And yet 
going freelance where you're extremely dispensable because they can get rid people can get rid of you straight away and mm-hmm. you're based on results i kept on getting work i think i've had 60 odd clients now and often people i've worked with call me back and so i started getting emails when i started doing this work which i hadn't predicted of people saying this is what's happened to me this is what's happened to me and because before i did this diversity work i'd never met someone else black asian mixed race that worked in this work mm-hmm. the irony right all these people i know now it's all because of the work so i had no one to compare notes to so it was just me and so i guess what's come about then is having to work and fix some of those really toxic sides of our industry and look they are a lot of toxic businesses who are successful some of them are unsuccessful and i'm not here to fix them but if you mm. work for businesses genuinely committed to diversity genuinely committed to inclusion you know and we can apply for the blueprint if you're successful we'll work with you we'll support with you but um that has been a bit of a challenge it's been it's 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 very very challenging doing this work sometimes and i think that i always say that i need to know enough to keep on keeping on but not too much mm. that you become overwhelmed yeah. because my passion and you know commitment is you know what keeps me going but there there's you know I'm fortunate as well that I have an amazing counselor that specializes in racial trauma because you can't hear this stuff some of the stuff we hear is extremely dark it's not appropriate to tell my friends mm. I can't tell my colleagues when people tell me stuff in confidence and it is very you know difficult I've you know had death threats doing this work I've had hate mail doing this work and yeah you need to find a place to offload but there's that underbelly and we try our best to work with good organizations wanting to do good work and um trying to fix some of those problems and creating s- industries where everyone can thrive yeah well congratulations on everything you've done so far it's uh, it's, it's quite an achievement sorry that was a really long monologue it was, no, was very, that was right up there with hamlet's shakespeare <laughs> you know <laughs> to be or not to be obviously just to be clear i'm not comparing myself to shakespeare <laughs> That was a wonderful, comprehensive answer. But you mentioned that, um, you know, things have changed since 2015. You know, you mentioned yeah. George Floyd and other things have happened. Um, you know, it's big, race has become much more visible, I think, hasn't yeah. it, in terms of people's awareness of it and the, the issues that are, are around. How far do you think the dial has moved, you know, in the time that, that you've been doing what you've been doing? You know, I think what I love is that, we can have a lot more authentic conversations there there are the i think feel that we had a fast forward and we could move on to some much more complex conversations or deeper conversations that's what i think 2020 allowed us to do so for example all those people running dni initiatives who didn't want to use the word racism or, or com- confront it suddenly it allowed us to mention that and it allowed mm. us to talk about racism which was interesting and has been you know um has been a great opportunity has brought opportunities and i think being able to suddenly also talk about some other complex things whether it is intersectionality um people becoming more versed i think it's it's allowed some more dni race literate inclusive literate conversations if that makes sense mm. um and being able to talk about the co- the concepts of for example white privilege is a really interesting one and mm. i think that you know there's, there's there's a lot of people that are quick to say oh you know i'm white and i'm and i'm poor and i and yes absolutely <laughs> you can be white and you can be poor but i think the concept of finally helping people understand that 
white privilege isn't about saying your life is better because you're white, but white privilege is about your life is not going to be made harder because you're white. But even the having that conversation, whether and and respect, you know, there's there's all the crazy stuff in the right wing press about these things, I which I don't want to touch. But mm. I feel there's been a lot of concepts that people that we've been able to discuss. Some will always reject them. There'll always be people that are against this stuff. That's absolutely their business and that's not, I'm not here to pitch to them. And I think those those things were positive. I think mm. it's been positive. There's some little things that I really love, Guy. Like I went to the Tate Britain last year to see the Between the Islands exhibition. And if you go to the Tate Britain, they do this amazing thing about their history and how they're working harder to be more inclusive, but also recognize where the Tate got their money. Mm. And I thought, this is brilliant. I'm I'm loving the investment in in you know in artists for that not just white artists but black Asian mixed race. I went to see you know the Black Fantastic at the South Bank again last year. It was an incredible exhibition. I've been in London for forty odd years. I love London. I'm a born Londoner that loves London, mm. and I love the fact that the first time I saw. Hamlet with Kenneth Brown. It was an all-white cast, and I was doing my A levels. So now I see Hamlet with Benedict Cumberbatch, and it's a whole diverse cast. Same place mm. in Barbican, and I think that you know, there's been a lot of positives. You know, um, and it, sorry, this is a rambling thing, but I'm trying. I'm trying to put a lot into a short answer, probably failing. <laughs> but but I also think, you know, the importance about DNI. It you know you've got the the, the right wing press that want to see this as woke and we all know that it seems to be more racist people are obsessed with using the word woke but anyway mm. as dismiss- dismissive of that but there's also really important reasons why organizations that are there to support uh the public have to embrace dni you look at the police for example and sarah everard and mm. some deeply problematic things that came out in the last couple of years about things that happened in whatsapp chat groups you, I, it's wild to me that anyone can argue or dispute that an organisation like the police has to work in a way that is as free from bias as possible. You know, we are a country that's had a history of Hillsborough, the Stephen Lawrence um, case, Sarah Everard. There have been, this is a flawed public-funded mm organization public funded body and we can see what happens when those flaws are able to have a devastating impact so to me you know this is it's it's about you look at the nhs and why is black women's bodies which are no different from white women's bodies why are we five times more likely to die from childbirth there are some really important things that happened as a result of the george floyd where we can have these conversations and talk about the real impact of racial bias, gender bias, all these things. Um, and that's positive. The negative is it brought lots of fly-by-nights into the sector who all saw mm. it as, you know, diversity is a competitive sport, but unfortunately most of them have gone now. So, yeah. Mm. Good. So, so progress, progress is being made. Sense, I'm not no, sure it did. Any sense. <laughs> it did. And it feels like, I mean, it's... It feels positive in the sense that you know progress is being made, but clearly there's still yeah. there's still work for you to do. And I guess that would be my, you know, the the next question really about the blueprint and stuff. How how, you know, how far would you like to see that? I mean, clearly it would be great if all companies signed up for this kind of thing. But how far how far are you going to push this now in terms of trying to get it as a sort of widely accepted or widely subscribed to 
uh, idea. Well, so it's interesting because we, we don't promote the blueprint. We never do. We only celebrate when people have been blueprinted. And that's because the flip side of diversity is inclusion. And mm. you need to nail inclusion. And I've, and I've seen what's happened. And it can be really toxic when people have gone for the veneer of diversity but haven't actually dealt with maybe the structural inequalities within their organisation. We don't want to make diversity a competitive sport, no one wins. No one wins if they're just used, um, you know, to appear as a black person on someone's website to support Mm. an award win. Um, So what we tend to do is we only celebrate organisations when they've been blueprinted. My whole Mm -hmm. thing has been I would rather have one great organisation blueprinted and doing great work than 100 doing terrible work. And I'm going Mm. to say something that's really awful and and forgive but it, it, I forgive the organizations of investors in people. I'm sure they do great work, but I know these, you know, investors in people. And I was, when I first started the world of work, so many organizations had that poster. I mm. you know, but I'm not sure how many people in their day to day lives understood what does this mean. I want no. the blueprint to mean something. And we're very lucky. We've got, at the moment, 10 highly engaged organizations. And that's enough. I think, it, it, you know, we've, we've probably had, um, two-thirds of organizations that have applied for the blueprint haven't been successful. Mm. If I was motivated by money, I can tell you that if we'd accepted all the applications for the blueprint that have come in, it would probably have represented about £130,000 of business for us. Um, and, you know, integrity is important. We, we want, you know, it's not just about a crass, how many black people do you hire? But actually the blueprint is good for everyone. It's, mm. you know... I know, I remember once someone told me they work in an agency where promotions happen basically whether you're hot or not. You know, <laughs> the blueprint puts in place a structure that we all know what we need to do to be promoted in this organisation. We all know we have the same opportunity to work on a variety of clients. We all know that we have the same opportunities to get, you know, whether it's time off, whether it's working hours. It's about creating healthy organisations where everyone can thrive and mm. removing bias. Um and there is bias in our industry. You go to some websites and you're like, why, why is everyone in your company, you know, white 25 and a size 8? <laughs> Not that there's yeah. anything wrong with being white 25 and a size 8. Please don't nope. be the person that tweets me to say, I'm white 25 <laughs> and a size 8. I can't believe you said that. But, but it's, it's, it's odd to me. It's odd to me that, you know, that, that we, you know, there, I know agencies that, higher based on aesthetics and mm. we then wonder what happens to women in this industry of you know when they're no longer seen as aesthetically pleasing for a consumer agency it's, it's shocking right yeah absolutely yeah there's there's obviously yeah. many many issues that need fixing um, yes <laughs> particularly in the you know media world as someone who's worked in the media yeah i, I yeah. totally get what you're saying about a lot of these issues but let, yeah. let's go back a bit further you mentioned that yeah. Uh, you weren't born in the UK. So how yeah. old were you when you came to the UK and how, why did that, how did that come about? So it, it's, a, it's a long, vague story. I just, I'll tell you this short because I think I've done enough monologues. <laughs> we came for three weeks when I was about four or five years old. Um, my dad was traveling on business as, as, you know, as he said, I forget what, he, I think he was, forget what he was doing at the time. And uh, we came for three weeks and here we are. That's, <laughs> that's the story. And it just, lots of reasons, I guess, it's too much to unpick, but over, you know, I guess you settle, then, then you stay a bit longer, then you stay a bit longer, and then at one point it's like, this is, this becomes home really. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's came here and into a flat in Hendon, and we've always lived in kind of the northwest London areas of Hendon, Mill Hill, Golders Green, mm. Edgware. Um, yeah, and that's it. 
So how did you, I mean, you, you've had a career in PR, essentially, haven't yeah. you? But did, was it, did you go straight into that after school or did you meander around a bit or how did you end up going yeah. into, ended up in PR? No, I mean, like, um, it's weird. So I went to uni, did a politics degree, and then I did, after my first degree decided um, I wanted to do a master's in the last year I thought yeah I'll just do a master's now I suddenly got really into my my degree then I did a master's in politics I decided I wanted to change the world and get a job at the UN Mm -hmm. or something like that and then this was in the 90s there's lots of problematic stuff going on in the world there was Somalia the breakup of the former Yugoslavia um, and I suddenly thought maybe the UN isn't that great there was a lot of conversations around the time around whether or not the UN was a worthy organization etc so I decided I didn't want to work for the UN and then everyone else at LSE um so I did my master's was was going off to be a consultant management consultant (laughs) I couldn't see myself in a suit at um McKinsey and to be honest with all due respect McKinsey probably didn't want me (laughs) anyway I don't know why I'm saying saying it like it was an option um so um yes then I got a job for a small charity so I spent about six years of my career managing campaigns, events, celebrity relationships, working for organizations like the Refugee Council, had a great time there. And then did this campaign for the Refugee Council. We launched it at Glastonbury um, with a, a, an up-and-coming Russell Brand at the time was one of our comedians who performed there. And then I thought, I want to do more of this, but I want to understand the PR side of it. Spent about a year trying to get into a PR agency and I got... Through knowing someone, I got a job in a tech PR agency. And then that was about 2006, spent about a year there. And then did loads of contract work. Um, but then I finally went freelance, I guess, in 2015. Mm. And yeah. how, yeah, so and how's that journey been from going to be freelance? How, how was, how, what made you make that leap? Do you know what? I mean, I'm going to be trying to be careful. No, actually, I'll be honest. I, you know, I had a fair amount of challenging situations at work and I got tired of trying again and going somewhere else. And I think there is this thing and it's a very common, not common, that's not fair, but I know a lot of other black PR and commerce professionals have had this situation where you are maybe only you know minority in, in, a, in a work environment having to deal with the challenges of microaggressions racism inequality unfairness and everything else that goes into work and I think you have two things to do you can either go with it and stay with it or you can leave and actually there was times when I tried to stay with it, it wasn't particularly great for my mental health and I was kind of tired of getting away from these situations but also finding myself in these situations and something you know without going into the actually I can I had a situation I found really unfair we were working in an organization and about to have my third new line manager in the space of nine months and this job had become extremely unstable and extremely frustrating and the way the recruitment of our new manager was handled was done really badly. And so, you know, long story short, pretty much everyone in that, that was in my team and that we worked with left very quickly. And at that point, I think mm-hmm. I was so disillusioned by how this was done. I lit, just couldn't do it again, really. And so I decided I'll become freelance. I actually love PR as the work of PR. I love communications. I love, I actually do. But what I couldn't bear is I think you know I've realized there's a lot of badly run comms teams badly run PR agencies I'm not Mm -hmm. unique in that so 
I became freelance and I had, you know, not a penny to my name. But again, good old Google. I li- Honestly, I should be sponsored by Google, guy. I really should. Well, sponsor <laughs> my work, but I should. But, I, but, you know, whenever I used to train young people, I used to say in the age of Google or YouTube, there's no reason not to know anything. So mm. I um, first day of freelancing was like, literally april fool's day i was like of course you're a fool you're freelancing and you have no money and then you read all these articles where people are like before you go freelance have six months worth of salary saved who does that in london who does that in london who has do you know what i mean like who who it, it's ridiculous to me so yeah and i just thought i can't be the first person so you know what guy i spent three days doing nothing but googling how to get clients, how to be, be a freelance PR. This is an amazing guy, I have to say, shout out to a gentleman called Ben Matthews, who I met a hot while years ago, runs an agency now with his partner and, and several other people. And he was a freelance and he set up a whole website, PR freelance, everything, like how to pitch for business, how to get this. I read and it was amazing. I remember I came across this blogger in Spain, this web developer who wrote this shocking blog. I, you know, my, I was behind on my mortgage. My wife was pregnant. I went freelance and now I'm successful. <laughs> okay, great. So then I did a brainstorm on, and I te- gave myself a target of coming up with 60 people that I can pitch work to. Mm-hmm. Worked on it from eight o'clock in the morning to like midnight, everyone and anyone. So for example, I went for an interview in 20, about three years before and I didn't get the job, and it was down to the final two. And they said, and woman said to me, if ever you need anything, let me know. And her name is Sally, brilliant woman. She ended up working at BMI Healthcare. I emailed mm-hmm. her. She goes, great to know you're freelancing. Um, great to know you're freelancing. I'll keep you in mind. Three months later, she joined BMI Healthcare. She said, hey, we need a freelancer. Come on in. And brilliant. so basically, I got these 60 names, and I gave myself a target. I wrote 10 pictures a day. I started in April. By the 1st of May, I won a 15, 20 grand client great okay by the end of may i had five clients by <laughs> june i turned down i was turning away the financial times and then and then and then of course guy i realized that six clients on your own is too much work <laughs> and, then, yeah. and, then, and then i had a bit of a meltdown and then um, and then you know i did a, uh, again a brainstorm of all the different things i could do whether it was write content events or this so i've been able to do copywriting stuff i've been able to do crisis comps i've done a lot of training i've done events and um and you know word of mouth people would recommend me which was great and that's how it did it mm. amazing i mean it's, it's so it's always fascinating you know how these things work out isn't it particularly with you know going 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 it alone because it is a scary yes. world isn't it and it's it's like it is like jumping walking off the end of a cliff but um, it, it can really it can really pay off because it, it makes you um you know so in control of who you work with and, and the kind of work that you do it really is it really is but i i don't know I, I look. I, I, this is. I don't want to be that person that says, "Oh, you know, being poor is great." Because it, <laughs> it's, it's, it, taught, it gave me so many life skills. But I also think it's it's, it's incredibly motivating when you realise whatever happens. I need to. In, I, I realise that whatever happened, I had to invoice someone at the end of June because I <laughs> yeah. needed someone to pay me by the end of July, and that was the the most that I could stretch. The income I still had. The mm-hmm overdraft I could go into whatever credit card that's the most I could and I think it helps it helps it, it I it's terrible because actually it's also really stressful I don't want to go into the hustle culture and telling people you know it's fun to have no money it's not it's absolutely not but for me that was a driver for me that was an absolute driver that I needed to be able to pay rent and you know I needed to do all these things and 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 you know there is so many I hate to say it again and again but 
I keep saying to people, it's incredible the resources you find. Every time you've, you've got a problem, someone has Googled it before and got a whole website with all the answers mm. for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what's out there, isn't it? So yeah. I, I know it's yeah. I know it's difficult to, you know, plan ahead these days is it, with yeah. the things like the last couple of years have shown. But if with if you you know, thinking about the future and say that, you know, in five years time, what's the what's the ideal? Where would you like you know, you to be like professionally, but also with the you know, the work you're doing in on diversity and inclusion, oh, et cetera? God. Do you know I I love oh, God. Oh, that's a really good question. I should look, put into my to-do list strategic planning. Um, <laughs> so, um, I would, I'd love for, you know, for us to have uh, the ZEC leadership scheme to keep going and for us to have had a nice alumni to have built, been built from that, doing great work. I'd love to be working with more companies that are genuinely as committed and passionate about diversity. Um, I would love for I'd love for some of our industry publications and our trade bodies to be doing better. Um, and I guess it's really e- weird and it's but I guess my biggest thing is that kind of back to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think that I'd just like my colleagues and I to be happy. I'd like to, I'm really proud of the way we treat people. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, the freelancers, the majority of our freelancers we work with again and again, you know, we're very lucky that we've got an amazing relationship with, you know, we've got an incredible creative work with called Simba. Um, mm. Love him for bits, been working with him for years. He's been one of my creative inspirations. Actually, I'll talk about that later, but I'd love, I I'm grateful that we've been able to create a nice business for the people that we work with. The majority of people we work with are from black, Asian, mixed race, and ethnic minority backgrounds. I'm proud that we've helped so many people get better jobs, get more clients, get pay rises. I'd love us to continue doing that and being a force for good. Um, I like the fact that the people I work with can have a healthy work-life balance. I like the fact that we can try to pay people more than they're usually paid in other, in other organisations. And I'd like us to be able to keep doing that, but without the stresses of being a new business. I'd like us to have, to have less Goliath guy. I'd like, yeah. I'd like, I'd like, quite frankly, <laughs> my big dream is for the wankers to leave us alone. That's what I love. Just literally go away. <laughs> box. Leave me be, so we can go on and just focus on the good people. That is yes. my dream. That's my dream. The company, yeah. the company motto. I like it. I like it. Yes. You mentioned company. you mentioned that Simba is one of your creative inspirations, but you said you might, you've got a few more. Who are the who are your big inspirations well, in terms of you know creativity and, and what you've ended up doing? Well, it's funny. So when I when I launched um, when I bought the domain name BME PR Pros, I was working for. Um, the youth organization NCS, which was very chaotic, very messy, but that's for another podcast. Um, <laughs> you know. But what was amazing about it is that I met some really, in, in, within our comms team, I met some really inspiring young people who taught me a hell of a lot. Um, Simba being one of them, this was, we've now known each other for six years, Simba being one of them, he is a creative genius. I always feel that if 
he doesn't have, if he's not in an exhibition that Tate Modern in like 10, 15 years time, then something has gone, that's because he doesn't want to be, if that <laughs> makes sense. He's a yeah. creative genius. He's brilliant. So he comes up with our logos, our brands, our style and everything. Um, you know, Carl, he's, he's my web developer. I've been working with him for a few years. Again, brilliant. What, everything he's done has just been beautiful. I also met at NCS a wonderful, incredible um, young woman, bright young thing called Esther, and and her work, her content creating work has just been brilliant. You know, there was a copywriter called Will. There's a a, a video guy, video guy. There's probably a proper name for them, right, guy? Um, <laughs> called Brian. All of those, all of them. What I loved, you know, I think that I'm a lot older than them, so. Mm. I'm 46 and I'll say all of them are at least 15, 20 years younger than me. And what was interesting is that when I met them, I was being so boring and old personally about this diversity stuff. What is our mission statement? We must spend five mm. months planning a website. <laughs> and then you talk to them and it'll be like, somebody's like, oh yeah, I just went home this week and I just created a short film. And I was like, what mm. do you mean you didn't have a meeting about it? You didn't have stakeholders? <laughs> what is your mission statement? What are your values? <laughs> and it was just like, and all of them just do, you know, Will, you know, was writing a book, now he's written a script. It's just like, oh, you just do. And yeah. there is something around being around that creativity that's quite fearless. And you know what? Let's just do. And that's, I think, it's, you know, I'm very fortunate. I launched BME PR Pro. It was completely accidental while being surrounded by these people that just gave you the impression that you can just do, that you don't have to wait. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can learn. And I think just watching how, you know, they also gave me an inspiration of from the beginning, we've used gifts, we've used, you know, we've celebrated black, Asian culture. I love the, there's an amazing Bollywood gift of this woman doing this incredible dance with the Ray-Bans on. They really inspired me to play with this and have a different tone and actually put personality into this and not like, you know, being able to be informal in language. So I work, I've tried very hard to make our work non-hierarchical you know, mm. to be as inclusive as possible. So we don't say PR practitioner because, you know, it's not 1952 and I'm not <laughs> in a you know? so, I hate that, PR practitioner. Yeah. <laughs> so, please. <laughs> so we say pros, you know, PR pro. That's what you yeah. are, right? And yeah. all those kind of things, they've, they made me realise this is how you can do something. And yeah. they really just... Or they're really inspiring. And I said, my car, my web guy as well, they just, they make you, you have this boring idea. I'm, we're going to do a leadership scheme and you give it to Simba and Carl and you think about how Esther would do it. And it's like, well, this is great. This yeah. is, they make everything that we do look cooler and more interesting than I could ever envision. So, yeah. Well, that, that captures two things, doesn't it? You know, they always say that you should surround yourself surround yourself with people who are better at certain roles than you are yeah. uh, or you know have a different perspective but also yeah. it really show, I think it really shows and this comes up time and time again in the conversations I have on here you know with really, people that yeah. that it's just about a lot of the time it's it is about going for it and and learning from your mistakes yes. along the way isn't it rather than trying to wait until everything's perfect and you know everything you've just got to get going absolutely and, and, absolutely. and fail along the way no question but you learn massively from each time you do that don't you Absolutely. And I, th I think that, look, I think the other thing that I think is probably worth flagging is I'm very lucky that I started doing this work in a very different diversity world, like, you know, mm. pre-George Floyd, because mm. it never occurred to me that 
there could ever be money made from this. And I, and I didn't start getting paid for my business until February last year. Mm. And even now, it's a, it's a pittance, right? Um, but the challenge, I think, is that after 2020, loads of people saw diversity as this is where to make money. And I think there, by never seeing this as something that could ever make money, made mm. that we were also very free. And even then, we've kept that ethos. Don't, you know, we are launching a project in a couple of weeks' time that we hope it's going to generate income for us, but we would never sell out. It still sticks within our ethos of what we are. And I think that thing of like being able to play with it, you know, mm. and I think being it's meant that we've been able to be authentic. We've never had to think, well, you know, we were, we were talking about Black Lives Matter from the beginning of launching BME PR posts. We didn't wait until it was fashionable. So yeah. we were never thinking, will a corporate not like this? Will this stop people giving us money? That wasn't into it. It was just literally like, will people, you know, I and it was, it was just like, I want to put this GIF out. I want to put this tweet out. And mm. no, one was, no one was listening to me. Do you know what, how pathetic it is? <laughs> Tweeting when you're like, when there's two people following you and both of yeah. the accounts are related to you. <laughs> so, 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 you know, but it was just like, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 I always say it's that kind of, you know, how the argument against censorship, you know, is, I, I, you know, against censorship is like, I can hate the book, but the book deserves to exist, you know? Yeah. And yeah. my attitude was always been like, I don't think anyone agrees with what I'm doing or likes what I'm doing, but <laughs> I think my viewpoint deserves to exist. And, and I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that there's, that, I'm not that individual, that creative. And I figured there must be at least one other Elizabeth who's going to like my tweets. Yeah. And that's who you're playing for, that one person that, who's your target audience. But I think, yeah, going for it, you know. And I think it helps going for it and not, and, and, and enjoying it. And, yeah, sorry. No, absolutely, I'm, I'm absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's clearly a passion for you, and, it you know, it <laughs> comes through loud and clear that that is your passion. Yeah. And I think that's part of what you're saying is, you know that it's that passion that comes through, and and because you're not motivated by money, you're doing it yeah. because you're passionate about it. That comes yeah. through, and it's fascinating to hear the whole story. And I'm really you grateful know, I'm... for you talking to me, uh, Elizabeth. It's been fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you want to get in touch about anything you've heard on the podcast, or you want to just talk to me about anything, or let me know any suggestions about people or anyone you, anything you think I should know, please do. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on creativeforcespod at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Twitter. You can get in touch that way, P on Twitter, or you can just message me directly on Twitter, Guy Kilty, that's G-U-Y-K-I-L-T-Y uh, on Twitter, so you can find me there. Please give us a follow. Uh, also give us a rating or a you know um, review in your podcast app. That'd be really appreciated. It really helps for other people to be able to find it then. Um, anything you can do to support the podcast if you enjoy it would be very much appreciated and as I say I'd love to hear from you so please do get in touch thanks for listening see you again soon